0: I've got some uh, special guests with me today. Some folks from my cross-country team are here, so welcome to you guys. Thanks for for coming this morning. Give them a round of applause. Come on. We've been running in the muck and mud for weeks now, so um, looking for some relief weather-wise. But If you can go ahead and just put up the the background slide. So we are um, in the middle of a sermon series here. Uh, We've been going on the last uh, several weeks called Full of Grace and Truth, Encounters with Jesus. And we're looking at uh, individual encounters that Jesus had, kind of one-on-one with different people. And I brought uh, to light last week this theme that I'm starting to kind of see as we look at these conversations that Jesus is having, but just how... Uh, disruptive Jesus is in every uh, story that we've looked at. As he enters into a town or to a life, um, he just disrupts things, and he has a tendency to lead his followers, whether it was in Scripture or even us today, into places of disorientation, places where we find ourselves a little off-kilter, and because it's in those places that he wants to find out. What our true hearts are like those places where we're most disoriented most uncomfortable really reveal our true natures and so jesus pushes us into those spaces and i i for one can tell you that i've often failed pretty miserably at least initially when jesus pushes me into places and around people um, that I'm not used to operating around, whether that's folks kind of on the margins um, or people that are kind of overlooked, um, definitely into encounters with people that I tend to agree uh, disagree with. Um, in those moments, it becomes brutally aware to me how far I can be from really accurately reflecting the grace and truth of Christ in those times, um, in those places where I'm least in control of my variables. So, We all need some help, I would imagine. Right? Thank you. Good. It's not just me. I appreciate that. So, in today's story, um, like in every story that we encounter in Scripture, we're going to be looking at some characters here who are dealing with some consequences of the fall. There's this reality that we live in this world that is full of sin and brokenness that's pervasive. Everything around us is broken, nature is broken relationships are broken, genetics are broken, and today's story, we're gonna be seeing how death and infirmity are wreaking havoc on humanity. And the question that humanity continually asks, whether it was then or today, is this. Is there any hope in the midst of all of this pain and brokenness? Is there any hope? And is there a healer, a deliverer, a savior who can do something about this mess that we find ourselves in. And, and early in the Gospels, um, Jesus is continually becoming the yes to those questions. Only Jesus had the power to hold his hand up to the winds and waves and say, be still. Only Jesus had the power to heal the lepers that we looked at a few weeks ago, or the demon-possessed man that we looked at last week. But not everybody was open to his influence. Right? We saw that in the story last week. Jesus comes in the town and he heals this demon-possessed man, but he does it in a way the townspeople don't really like and it affects them. And they basically just say, hey, see ya. Can you please get out of our town and quit being so disruptive here? And we know that even today in our culture, um, highly saturated, um, you know, with, with Christianity, that, that Jesus is largely ignored by most people. Um, by many people, it's just flat out rejected in our society. So we know that the hearts of men and women haven't really changed a whole lot the last 2,000 years. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 5 this morning. Same place we were last week, it's page 913 in your Pew Bibles. So if you remember in chapter 4, Jesus had been um, in an area, a Jewish town, and he had crossed over the lake, and they had the whole story of him calming the wind and the waves, and he crossed over to a town that we studied last week the beginning of chapter 5 that was a Gentile city. Okay, so a, a place that was kind of uncomfortable for the disciples. So now in verse 21, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So basically Jesus just went across the lake, and now he just went back across the lake. Okay, back to the Jewish towns that he's been doing a lot of ministry in. Um, a lot of those folks have seen a lot of his miracles. And so basically it says that the crowd is just waiting for him. Some of the commentaries that I read said that they probably just didn't even leave when he left to go across the first time. They were just waiting for him to come back again, okay? So um, I think it's important for us, it says that this large crowd, right, gathered around him, and I think it's really important that we get a sense of what that must have looked like. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we, we don't put a lot of thought into kind of like imagining what that could be like. Okay, and so it's going to be really helpful for us as we go through this story today. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make this thing feel very different if you can mentally kind of get a picture of what might have been happening. So I think the first thing that we need to address is just what healthcare looked like in those days, okay, which was pretty much non nonexistent. Um, really up until about 150 years ago, maybe even less. It was kind of like that, okay? So if people were sick, Uh, there was very little hope. There were doctors, but they basically sold, you know, elictors or chickens' feet or whatever, and people were so desperate they would pay money for this stuff, but there really weren't a lot of cures. Doctors really had no idea what was going on in the insides of people, okay? So that was kind of the state of things. So if you were deformed, disabled, diseased in some way, like you were pretty, life was pretty miserable for you. You were in constant pain. And, and it, it affected your ability to work, to, to do all kinds of things. And so there was a desperation, a hopelessness that came with illness at that time. So when word gets out that Jesus is going around miraculously healing people, you have to understand the frenzy that that would have caused as the buzz went from town to town. Have you heard about this guy and what he can do? He can make blind people see. He can make lame people walk. He can heal leprosy. I mean, you have to imagine that thousands and thousands of people would go miles and miles just like you would if your child was sick. You would carry your kid however far if you heard that there was hope somewhere. And so when we picture Jesus coming to the shore and it says a large crowd was there, in your minds I want you to see the hillside and see Thousands and thousands of people, the, the 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 teeming with desperate, broken, hurting people waiting for Jesus to come. We have to get that in our minds to get a, a sense of what we're talking about here. And 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 I want you to think of just a crowd just pushing and clawing and trying to get their hands on this healer. That's what Jesus dealt with when he moved from place to place. Now, some of you might know that I, I'm a reader, and I, I love to read books, and I particularly love and I've come across a few of them here in the last couple of years novels where they have like two characters going on at the same time, like and sometimes the author will do one chapter on that character and kind of back and forth, and then eventually you see these two characters' stories weave together until at some point in the book, like they intersect in this really kind of amazing way. And I love it when authors have the ability to do that with stories. And that's what we're going to be actually doing today in Mark chapter 5. It's kind of two people's stories that are going to be coming together um, in this crazy way. Um, two different people that have an encounter with Jesus and their stories kind of fold within the other. One is a man um, who is a man who has tremendous wealth and influence in society. Another is a woman who is um, just racked in poverty and shame. Both of them, though, are desperate for Jesus. So we're going to look at verse 22. It says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So the first character we meet is a synagogue leader named Jairus, The best way to explain to you in in the Jewish language there what a synagogue leader is, is kind of like a modern-day pastor. He would have been in charge of a local congregation of the spiritual and business affairs of that local church. So this was a guy that people in the town would have known, okay? Everybody would have known who Jairus was. And Jairus, it says, he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus, Same thing that the demon-possessed man did in the last story that we looked at. And you guys have to understand what a tremendous risk this was for Jairus. Okay, his boss, bosses, the Pharisees, were trying to kill Jesus and get rid of him. And so for Jairus, a Jewish spiritual leader, to come and to fall at the feet in reverence to Jesus was a tremendous risk for him. But he was so desperate. I mean, his 12-year-old daughter was dying. He'd heard what Jesus could do. And so he just thinks, you know what? Forget it. (laughs) I don't care what kind of trouble I get into. I'm going to go and and give Jesus a shot at this. And Jairus shows tremendous faith in believing that Jesus has the power to heal his daughter. And so maybe encouraged by his faith, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go with you. And I love the availability of Jesus here. I don't know what his agenda was for the day but he kind of allows himself to be interrupted this morning by this man. But I want to get real here for a moment too. What did Jesus have to gain? What did his movement have to gain from this encounter? From going with Jairus. Thoughts, yeah? Okay, more acceptance from the Jewish leaders, spiritual leaders. The truth that he could really heal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some, there were some advantages here to, to going and doing something for this kind of influential person in town. I mean, I'm sure his disciples were like, yeah, this is good. This is going to advance our cause, right? What do you think the mindset of the mob was as they moved towards Jairus's home? What's the mob thinking? So you have to picture this, right? They all turn and they start walking through the street and this crowd just all goes with them. What's the mindset of the mob, you think, that day? yeah Nick okay Jairus drivers maybe seems a little bit hypocritical, right um you know either either you're with Jesus or you're not yeah, what else yeah, Phil yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, they didn't have t v back then, so this was this was high entertainment value, right? Let's see if Jesus can go do something for this girl that's dying. So there's just a buzz, a little bit of electricity of, man, are we going to see something amazing right now, right? So, so this massive mob of people is going through the streets. And again, we need to try to picture the chaos, the crowds pressing in as Jesus walks along, the disciples kind of making a human wall around Jesus, trying to keep him safe as people are moving through the streets. Okay? Now our second character is going to enter the story, So, let's see what it says. This is a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. So, what? it starts off by saying, and a woman was there. Now, that's that's our first clue that this is going to be kind of interesting because this is a a male-dominated society. So, they didn't mention women uh, very often. And, and so, and, it, and apparently uh, this woman, a nameless woman, uh, but she also has been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. And bleeding was a serious issue in Jewish faith life, okay? If you had a condition like this, according to Old Testament law, you were considered unclean, which meant that you could not be a part of church life. You were banned from church, okay, Uh, which also kind of meant that you probably would have been kind of pushed out of town because it also meant that anybody that you came in contact with was also unclean. So here's what actually her family would have been allowed to do by Jewish law is her husband would have been allowed to divorce her. So if she was married, she would probably be divorced at this point. If she had kids, they would have been removed from her. If she had friends, they would have stayed away from her. So the implications of her condition, 12 years of that, are huge here. We're talking about somebody who is desperate and lonely and hurting, and we find out that she's destitute because she spent all the money that she's had on doctors, and it's only just made her even worse. She can't find any relief. She would be the kind of person that you would think would get overlooked and ignored and pushed to the side in order to get to the important person in the story. Because, guys, as much as Jesus may, on on the outside, have had to gain by going to help Jairus' daughter, Jesus had nothing to gain by helping this woman. She had no status. Let's look at verse 27. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. So we talked about earlier the risk the gyrus was taking, okay? Can you imagine the risk that this woman was taking here? I mean, people probably knew who she was, knew of her, knew what was wrong with her, she would almost certainly have had to come in some kind of disguise because as she pushes through the crowd, if she touches, everybody that she touches becomes unclean. So that's a huge risk. People took this seriously. If she would have gotten caught being out in public like that and rubbing shoulders with people, she would have been dragged to the side and, and rightfully, according to their law, stoned to death right there. This is a huge, huge risk that she's taking. But she's desperate. She's desperate for hope that that her life could be different. And so she stealthily kind of moves in, right, not wanting to draw any attention to herself at all. And she thinks to herself, if I can just touch the edge of his robe, that'll be enough, I can be cured. And this is tremendous faith from this woman, because for one, there's no other evidence of stories in Scripture where somebody just touched Jesus' clothes and got healed, So Jesus shows a a ton of grace to this woman to say, Hey, you know what? I'm just gonna meet you where your faith is. (laughs) If you think you can touch me and be healed, then I'm gonna I'm gonna let that happen. Okay. So let's see what happens here. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, verse thirty. It says at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answers, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Man, she was busted, wasn't she? (laughs) Right? She wanted to just sneak in didn't want anybody to see her, and all of a sudden now Jesus is calling her out. <laughs> Why did Jesus stop and ask who touched him? What's your best guess here? Oh, raise your hand so I know where that's coming from. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he had an opportunity to show people that yeah, this power to, to heal. What else? Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. She could have gone and still been the same woman, and her, her situation changed, but she's still that woman. Yeah. So he saw the opportunity for connection, for relationship. Okay, he didn't want it just to be the, the drive-through healing place, right? Um, but, but he had uh, an, a desire and an opportunity to connect with her relationally. Anything else? Thoughts? Yeah. Mm, Yeah, so he gives her an opportunity to kind of show her allegiance towards Jesus, right? That's good, yeah. He knew that she needed more than a physical healing. She needed some additional grace and truth spoken into her life that could only happen in that moment right then, okay? And Jesus' power is personal. So he knows when an individual life has been impacted by his touch, And I think a lot of people can kind of be like this woman when it comes to committing their lives to follow Jesus. We kind of want to do it on our own terms, right? You know, don't make me stand up at church. Don't make me raise my hand. Don't make me come forward. Oh, please don't make me get baptized in front of all those people, right? That would be weird and awkward. But Jesus wants things brought out into the open, so that they can be celebrated in community, so that other people can be encouraged by what God is doing in people's lives. And there's also a big difference between people kind of bumping into Jesus, like a lot of folks did in the crowd that day, and the kind of faith that pursues and reaches out to touch him. And I love this quote. It says, he can always distinguish between the jostle of a curious mob and the agonized touch of a needy soul." Where do you see yourself in that spectrum? Are you just somebody that's here today and kind of hovering around Christianity as somebody that's just kind of curious about Jesus and who He is? Or would you say that you more closely identify to a person who's very in touch with their need for Christ, and their need to connect with Him? And to the woman's credit, she steps forward. And what does she do in verse 33? You can say it out loud to me. What? She falls to her feet. Guys, that's the third time in Mark chapter five that somebody has fallen at the feet of Jesus. And so what is Mark trying to communicate to us by mentioning that and showing that three different times? What do you guys think? There's a purpose, I believe. Yes, Aaron. Yeah, so it's a posture of humility reminded me who I am in light of who he is. Any other thoughts? Yeah, hang on one second, I'll get back to you. Yes, Haley. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, it's just recognizing who you're in the presence of, right? That's what I was Okay, good. Beat you to it. All right? So, yeah, it's this reminder. Sorry, did you have something to add, Devin? Okay. Um, It's just this reminder of who we're dealing with here. And, guys, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, like, I can, this can all become kind of routine to me. I can sing songs, (laughs) I can hear messages and prepare things. I can see God doing things in other people's lives in my own life at times and still not fall to my feet in awe, in reverence of who it is that I'm worshiping, whose word it is that I'm speaking to you right now, whose power it is that's moving in me, giving me breath and life to do the things that we do. And sometimes we need a reminder. We need to read it a few times in one chapter to say, oh, yeah, that's who we're dealing with here. And, guys, the grace and truth of Jesus on display here is overwhelming. First, Jesus listened as she told him the whole truth. The whole truth about how sick she'd been, how maybe her husband and family had shunned her and left her. How she'd she'd put her hope in these doctors who had taken all of her money and, and left her worse off than she was before. How desperate and lonely she was to connect with humanity, to have hope that her life could ever be something different than what it had been for 12 years. She told him the whole story. And I can imagine, guys, that that took some time. And so you have to picture the crowd, the mob, the excitement, the buzz about on their way to go do something, and now it's interrupted by this woman who's unclean, and now Jesus is stopping and listening to her ramble on about her problems. In the midst of the chaos, in the middle of the very important endeavor to rescue a dying girl from an influential church leader, he treats her, this woman, like she's the only person that matters in the moment. He has the time, folks, to listen to our stories. He wants to know about your joys and your concerns and your suffering and your hopes and your dreams. And in the continuance of his grace and truth, because sometimes I try to separate it when I'm writing it down. And I think, oh, look at how gracious Jesus was. Then I'm thinking, you know what? That's also truth too. <laughs> They're blended together. He, he calls her daughter. It's the only time that that title is used to address somebody in the Gospels. And what he's communicating to her is that you are not just physically healed, but your faith has saved you. You were once cast out from your family, alone and destitute, and now you are brought in. You are in now. You've been adopted into the kingdom. You're a daughter of the king. You're valued. You're loved. That's the truth of her new identity. Thirdly, he tells her to go in peace. That's Jesus' way of saying you don't have to worry anymore. When you drank those potions or those elixirs or did that treatment that maybe helped you for a day or a week or a month, but the pain always came back, you don't have to worry that this is going to wear off. I want you to go in peace. You can rest. Your healing is done. Finally, Jesus makes this public display to communicate to everybody else around her, hey, she is good now. She can be brought back into church, brought back into family, reconnected guys jesus saw her he listened to her he assured her and he affirmed her do we do those things when we interact with people do we see them do we listen to them do we affirm them do we assure them we have a tremendous opportunity to do those things as Christ's representatives and now that's all great and good But what do you think is going on in the mind of Jairus, in the minds of the crowd and the disciples as Jesus is taking all of this time? They're probably going crazy, right? If that was my daughter, I'd be climbing the walls at some point being like, let's move on, right? We've got an important person to get to here. But Jesus has a different economy on who is worth his time, doesn't he? We're going to read for a bit as we read this, the end of the story here, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to this woman, some people came from the home of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John and the brother of James when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now, guys, back then, they would hire professional mourners to come and mourn. Uh, and the more money you had, the more mourners that you hired. Okay, so this is an influential leader. So it's, it's when it says crying and wailing loudly, okay, these people were paid to do that. So you know they're going to put on a show. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. They mocked Jesus. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her in Aramaic, Talithia kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, uh, at, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Sometimes I love how just human scripture is, right? Get, get the girl a sandwich, right? She's been through a lot today. <laughs> All right? <clears throat> Man, that initial news had to be crushing. Your daughter's dead. And I'm sure everybody there was thinking, Jesus, if we just hadn't stopped and dealt with this woman, taken all the time to hear her story, you kind of blew it, dude. Like we had this chance to really further some things here. But Jesus hits them with some truth. He says, guys, this is going to be hard to believe, but your daughter's story isn't over. And it's happened so often, folks. The perspective on life of people around us can be one way, while Jesus is seeing it from a completely different lens. Sometimes in our life, we might have circumstances that are looking pretty bleak. And well-intentioned people around you, maybe family, friends, mentors, whoever it might be, might look at your circumstances and say, you know what, man, I don't know if your marriage is going to make it. I don't know if you can redeem that friendship. It's looking pretty rough. Or, man, your finances, boy, I don't know if you can dig your way out of that hole. While all the while Jesus is looking at the exact same circumstances, knowing that now you're at a place maybe where you're desperate enough to turn to him, and he's thinking, oh, man, this is where the story begins. (laughs) Because if you'll lean into me, guess what? My nature is that I'm a healer, I'm a redeemer, I'm a restorer, I'm a reconciler. I live for these kinds of opportunities to show you my power, to show you a life that you could have that you would have never dreamed you could have had before this happened. And if we'll listen, Jesus leans in and he whispers things like this, just, I just picked a verse, I could have picked a million, but he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, not on what you can see right now with your eyes, in all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. And I hope you guys noticed how Jesus carried Himself in the midst of this chaotic scene. Crowds are pressing in, desperation everywhere, uh, important officials needing Jesus' attention, professional mourners making all kinds of noise, death disease, all of this this hurricane of activity is swirling around Jesus, and in the eye of the storm stands our Savior, calm, clear, compassionate, attentive, focused. And it struck me as I read this that at some level, that's how we need to be in order to deliver accurate grace and truth in people's lives. In the midst of a chaotic and broken world with broken situations and broken people, we can't be too swayed by the overly emotional or the overly rational that we'll encounter. I'm sorry, not irrational, rational, (laughs) overly emotional. Or overly rational. We have to be centered enough on Christ to see the grace and truth in the middle of the extremes. Guys, I want to ask you this question Do we bring, do you bring a calming presence in the midst of calamity? When you enter into the room, into the conversation, into the argument, the whatever, Do you have this balance of grace and truth, this ability to to speak into life what God's hopes and dreams are for these people, even in the midst of really tough things that give them a sense of calm, that don't add fuel to the fire, that isn't so cold and just logical that there's not compassion? Man, I've got to grow in that. I know we probably all do of being the calm in the eye of the storm to, to deliver grace and truth like Christ would. Guys, what an amazing story today. Two very different set of circumstances, right? The influential father of a 12-year-old girl, and this is no mistake, 12 years of suffering at the hands of this, this woman, this marginalized and insignificant woman, but Jesus treated them equally and love them the same his grace and truth is for everyone and so one of the questions I want to ask us as we close this day is this I'm really have a hard time saying my words here <laughs> okay I didn't want you to just gloss over that because I know you all are thinking what's Bob's problem <laughs> my question is this guys are we available to all ready to enter into painful circumstances and stories, offering good news, extending grace and truth, or do we draw boundaries around who will engage or who will allow to interrupt our day and demand that we hear the whole truth of their story? Guys, those are tough questions to wrestle with. Because our human nature wants to show favoritism to those people that we're most comfortable with, the people that are most like us, or the people we might have the most to gain from helping them. And so we have to wrestle those motives in us as well. As we come to the table this morning for communion, we're just reminded that His love is the song we sing here sometimes, His love is for us all. His grace and truth do not depend on our significance, our perceived significance in this world. His life was poured out and broken and bloodied so that every single one of us would have access to Him, access to grace and truth and healing and hope. The answer to the question is there hope in the midst of this mess? is found in Jesus, it's found at the cross, it's found in the opportunity we have to remember that right now. And in our spirits as we engage in communion this morning, I I wanna pray maybe that we would enter into it with the reverence of kind of like, God, I wanna fall on my feet (laughs) at this table today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that um, as we come to you, that this wouldn't just be uh, a stale ritual for us, that we remember that the, the hope for Jairus and his daughter, the hope for this bleeding woman was, was in a savior who could actually have the power to do something about their situations. There's so many things in this world that promise us stuff, whether that's success or money or prestige or whatever it might be, God, relationships that we put our hope in like, like paying money to these doctors, but we never get better. God, you are the only thing, the only thing that can satisfy, that can heal, that can restore, that can reconcile. God, help us not to bow our lives, our hearts, our minds to any other thing but you. Lord, as we come to your table, God, I pray that we would be reminded of just the beautiful grace and truth that we experience as the bread touches our lips. And the juice reminds us of the sacrifice you had for us. Hear our prayers as we quietly come before you right now.